Here's a top move for hiring a divorce attorney. See how they look and handle themselves on video or audio. Chances are that's them at their best with editing, setup, and multiple takes. The courtroom is live. Mediation is live. Make sure your divorce lawyer is going to make you look good. At Trendley Kramer Law, we handle family law and divorce. TK Law, onefirmforlife.com. Thanks for listening tonight. I am Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call para-reality. Well, here we are at episode two of season 16. I want to thank Everybody who downloaded the season premiere a couple of weeks ago and made it a successful start to what I hope is going to be one of the best seasons of Parareality yet. Now, in case you didn't catch it, you can still download it wherever you usually get your podcast. Parareality is on just about every podcast channel that you can think of. So put the podcast in your favorites list and get reminded whenever new episodes premiere, which is usually the first and third Fridays of every month. So, as you can tell, <clears throat> I'm still not quite over whatever kind of credit was that I had a couple of weeks ago, but at least I can talk now. Barely got through the premiere, the season premiere. Oh, man, I tell you, it, it, <clears throat> it was an hour and a half long episode, but it took me over two hours to record it because I just had to keep pausing and, and, and coughing and clearing my throat. It was horrible. But uh, I made it through. Had to do a lot of editing, too, to cut some of the stuff out. But, man, I, I, I still can't get rid of the cough and the sinus drainage. So there may be a couple of times here where I I cough or have to mute the mic or something to cough or clear my throat or whatever. But uh, I'm much better. And uh, hopefully next month when I get to uh, February, I'll be... I have have this over with, but you know, here in here in Nashville, it's what started it off was it was seventy five degrees one day, and the next day it was twenty five, and whenever that happens, my sinuses always screw up and and cause the exact same thing that you heard me going through, and it, it hasn't really 
um, gotten much better. I mean, we, we, we get warmer for just a minute and don't get back up to 75, but we'll get up to like 50 something in the mid fifties. And then it'll stay that way for a day or two. And then it drops back down into the twenties or thirties. It's just a typical Nashville winter. So the other day, let's just get on with, you don't want to hear about my ailments, right? This is not a pity party. I didn't mean for it to turn out like that. Anyway, the other day I was looking through my collection of Zechariah Sitchin books, and that got me to thinking about the Sumerian flood myth and how it predates the biblical deluge tale by around a thousand years or so. And as I was thinking about this, I slowly began to realize that there really are more than just those two tales about a great deluge. In fact, there are several other tales about a great deluge or some other cataclysm that destroyed the known world at that time. Now, the biblical deluge tale is no doubt the best known of all these stories, but did you know that all other tales of a great deluge predate the Bible? Not only that, but there are many other religious tales of some kind of great cataclysm that nearly destroys mankind. The Christian tale of the great deluge is just one of those tales. And that, my friends, is what I'll be investigating tonight on Parareality. The first part, I'll take a look at some of the great deluge tales from various religions. And then in part two, I'll discuss some of the other great cataclysmic tales. But to learn more, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. But before we get into that, listen to this. Aero Reality is a proud member of the Straight Up Strange Podcast Network. To learn more about all the awesome podcasts that are members of the Straight Up Strange family, go to straightupstrange.com and get strange. Hey, how would you like to be an agent of chaos? What is chaos? It's the knowledgeable apprentices of Sandman, and that's what I call my Patreon account members. I'm looking for new agents, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to become one. There are three levels of agents, and all are extremely affordable, $5 a month or less. Each level offers exclusive content along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host. To learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash parareality. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing quality content for this podcast. You are listening to the Parareality Podcast, your information source for conspiracy theories, UFOs, the paranormal, and all things unexplained. New episodes drop the first Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Listen on your favorite podcast station. Turn on, tune in, and find out. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. The study of comparative mythology allows us to see similarities in narratives across cultures, to see common experiences, and to identify patterns important to the human experience. 
The myth of an epic disaster in ancient history, for example, is shared by many cultures. A lot of these cultures tell the existence of a great civilization that was wiped away by some sort of gigantic cataclysm. Usually, that's a flood. We have accounts in several places of great floods that happened in ancient times. These cataclysms are described as, quote, the acts of the gods who were displeased with humans, usually about something like our immorality or some sort of rebellious phase that we were going through. So they send down a flood and a flood has a kind of purging and cleansing effect, right? So the old is wiped away and the new is made possible. And perhaps the most well-known flood story is the one found in the Bible. In the time before the sons of God came down to earth, there were on the planet beings called shining ones. They were like angels or, or maybe even fallen angels. They came down to earth, found our women very attractive, and they took them for mates and produced children. The children were giants, and they were called the Nephilim. And everything was all right for a while down here on planet Earth. Now, the Nephilim, the offspring of these shining ones and our mortal women, they were pretty large and impressive, but they weren't really good people at all. In fact, they were kind of evil, and, and they taught humans evil ways. And this eventually upset God. So God brought down the great deluge, and it was a great lesson for mankind. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a, like the biggest chastisement ever in recorded history, right? But there was a good man whose name was Noah, and Noah was given a chance to live. God instructed him to build a great ship, an ark, and he gave him very specific measurements and instructions to put two of every living thing on this ark. And the ark and all of its contents survived the deluge and life was regenerated anew here on earth. So that's kind of the biblical tale, right? So in the Sumerian legend, the story of Gilgamesh is practically the same story. In the Sumerian story, the gods created humans, but the king of the gods, Enlil, at least he was king of the gods at that time, he became upset with us, with his creation. Really, it really wasn't. Really wasn't his creation, it was his half brother Enki's creation, but I digress. So Enlil was he was the chief god. He became annoyed and upset with us humans, and he brought about drought and he brought about pestilence, and it didn't change our evil ways. We still didn't conform, we didn't behave, we weren't to his liking still, so he decided to destroy this mankind that he had helped create. But his 
half-brother, Inky, who really was responsible for making the humans, he was known as the creator god. And that's why, because he was responsible for making us who and what we are. He was more compassionate, and he loved us because we were, after all, his creation, right? And he took one human, and basically he defied Enlil. The order that Enlil had put out to the other gods was that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to flood them out, I'm going to kill them all, but you can't tell them. So Enki, the creator god, half-brother to Enlil, defied Enlil, and he didn't necessarily go and tell us what was going on. He chose one human whose name was Utnapishtim, which is akin to the biblical Noah. He chose Utnapishtim to be his chosen one, for lack of a better word. But he couldn't directly tell Utnapishtim what was happening. So he would go and sit outside of Utnapishtim's tent at night and talk to himself and say things like, oh, what if there was a great cataclysm, a great deluge? What if a flood were to come and wipe out all mankind? What would mankind do? How would they survive? Well, first they would have to build an ark, and this is how they would build it, and blah, blah, blah. And he would do this night after night, sitting outside of Utnapishtim's tent, talking to himself. And the whole while, Utnapishtim was in the tent listening, taking notes. So while Enlil, or excuse me, while Enki did not really overtly defy Enlil, he did nonetheless disobey Enlil's command. So he basically warned Utnapishtim to prepare an ark. He warned Utnapishtim. He told him how to build the ark to certain dimensions to survive the deluge, just as in the biblical story of Noah. And this was a thousand years or so before the supposed biblical flood. And if you want to read this story, you can read the Epic of Gilgamesh, or you can read um, actually the best place that I think that you can read it. I mean, you can always look it up online, of course, but I think the best place to read it is uh, Zechariah Sitchin's book on on, um, the Sumerians and everything, the the 12th planet. You can, it's, it's right there in that book, and it is a wonderful story. And it predates, it pretty much goes hand in hand with this, with what was told about the biblical deluge, except it was, it predates it by, like I said, about a thousand years. So it looks like the biblical deluge tale copied this Sumerian legend of a flood, at least in my eyes and, and a lot of other people's eyes too. So another story about the flood would be would come from Plato. Now this is a little bit different, but you're gonna you're gonna say Plato? Didn't he the guy that talked about Atlantis? Yes, he was a great philosopher, and he did write about the destruction of the great continent of Atlantis, the great civilization of Atlantis. Atlantean culture developed advanced technology, but 
because of this advanced technology, they grew lazy and they kind of, their character wasn't so good. And um, the gods did not like what they had become, so they were basically punished for it. Atlantis was done in by its own hubris. Here's a top move for hiring a divorce attorney. See how they look and handle themselves on video or audio. Chances are that's them at their best with editing, setup, and multiple takes. The courtroom is live. Mediation is live. Make sure your divorce lawyer is going to make you look good. At Trendley Kramer Law, we handle family law and divorce. TK Law, onefirmforlife.com. Do you have trouble remembering that one thing you went to the grocery store to buy? Here's a tip. Forget about it. Just pick up fresh Florida strawberries. They're delicious, in season, and available now. Here's another tip. Go to freshfromflorida.com and use local Florida strawberries for wonderful recipes like strawberry arugula salad or strawberry fritters. And while you're there, join the Fresh From Florida Club for free perks. Fresh From Florida. There's sunshine in every bite. That is because of the progress, because of the achievements, because of the genius that was Atlantis. Arrogance started sneaking in there, and they started using their great power to conquer their neighbors, not for any other reason than just for the sake of domination. The Atlanteans started to take their advanced technology and their great knowledge for granted, and they used it without any kind of moral compass. So Poseidon, who was involved in the creation of Atlantis, and you remember from your Greek philosophy, he was the uh, uh, god of the seas, right? He was concerned about the arrogance of the people of Atlantis. So he essentially destroyed Atlantis. He caused earthquakes and floods, and Atlantis sank to the bottom of the sea, somewhere beyond the pillars of Hercules, commonly thought as the Straits of Gibraltar, right? And if you look even, <coughs> excuse me, if you look even in more uh, modern times, and I say more modern, we're talking about, you know, a few centuries here, in the Mesoamerican tradition, the Inca god Viracocha rose from the waters and created people from stones, but the people he created, he didn't like. He said they were useless. They were brainless giants. And the gods were disappointed. And so, as you can guess, there was a great flood. And then the gods tried again with smaller stones this time. And that seemed to work out. So he created giants from large stones who were dumb and brainless and completely useless. Said, oh, this sucks. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to, let me, I had to mute the mic here. Excuse me. They were, the, the giants created from the big stones were dumb and brainless, useless. So they, the gods got together, said, oh, this sucks. Severe coach was like, let's flood them out, cleanse the, the palate, so to speak, and let's try it again with smaller stones. And that time it worked. And there, there's an alternate ending that two people survived the flood in, in sealed caves, and after the waters receded, they came out and repopulated the earth. But the the other is that uh, the gods flooded it out, and this time they used smaller stones to make humans, and that's how we got who we are today. If you look in Native American lore, 
the Hopi in their tales, the creator God was kind enough to instruct some of the people to go to the spider woman. And once there, they were protected by reeds from the great flood that happened, and life was able to regenerate. And in the Hopi view of the world, we need to be aware that the floods could come as they have in the past and take away everything that we have. So the Hopi are saying that there's another flood that's going to come maybe. And there's also a story in Hindu mythology about the time that Manu was washing his hands in a river and he came across a little fish, this strange little fish. And the fish was nervous and anxious and he asked Manu for help. He needed, he was being chased by a larger fish and he needed help to escape. And the little fish promised that he would give Manu something in return that would be of great value. So Manu helped him, and he protected the little fish and saved him from the larger fish. And then sometime later, this strange little fish told Manu that there was a great flood that was coming and that he needed to make preparations. So Manu did. He built a boat, and as the waters came, he hitched the boat up to the horn of this little fish who saved him by pulling him to a high mountain. And they say that the fish, that little fish, was a manifestation of Lord Vishnu, who is the great god of the Hindu religion. And by saving Manu that day, by you know default, he saved the entire human race. Now, one detail that shows up in many of the deluge stories is that some kind of craft that enables mankind to survive in the flood has been created. So in Noah's case, it was an ark, and it was a similar vessel for Manu that I just talked about. Uh, the Greek story has uh, Delusian surviving the flood in a chest that he made, and the instructions to create something like that kind of gives us, it suggests like a kind of rebirth motive there. You know, it, it shows that <clears throat> as the waters come to cleanse of all the bad stuff, that there has to be the seed of life that survives in something. So that's a craft of some sort, right? It has to be a boat or a chest or something like that. That's the seed of life. And then after the waters recede, the seed is, of life is taken out of the vessel and planted back into the soil, and life regenerates. So the story of Delusian and Pyra, or Pyra, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Now, you know that I suck at pronouncing a lot of names, but I'm going to pronounce it Pyra, or Pyra, excuse me. The story of Delusian and Pyra is the Greek version of the biblical flood story of Noah's Ark. That was told uh, by uh, the Roman poet Ovid in his masterpiece, uh, The Metamorphosis. And like the tales found in the Old Testament and in Gilgamesh, in the Greek version, the flood is a punishment of humankind 
us by the gods, them. Great flood tales appear in many different Greek and Roman documents. Hesiod's The Theogony, written in the 8th century, Plato's Timaeus, written in the 5th century, Aristotle's Meteorology, written in the 4th century, the Greek Old Testament, written in the 3rd century, Pseudo-Odophilus's The Library, written in 50 BCE, and many others are just some examples. Some uh, Second Temple Jewish and early Christian scholars believed Noah, Dilution, and the Mesopotamian Utnapishtim were, in fact, the same person, and the various versions were all of a single ancient flood that affected the Mediterranean region. In Ovid's tale, like I said, it was written about somewhere in the 8th century, Zeus hears of the evil doings of humans and descends to earth to find out the truth for himself. So he visits the house of a man named uh, Lycion, and he's welcomed by the people where he visits, but the host who he's staying with, Lycion, isn't such a great guy. Now, Lycion prepares a feast for Zeus, but he commits two acts of, let's just say, impiety. The first thing he does is he plots to murder Zeus. And the second thing he does is he serves Zeus human flesh for dinner. So Zeus returns to the council of gods where he announces his intention to destroy the whole human race, every living creature of earth. And that's because Lycion's just a representative of this entire evil, corrupt race. He judges everybody based upon the actions of one man, which is not a smart thing to do, but he did it anyway. So Zeus's first act is to send a thunderbolt to destroy Lycion's house, and Lycion himself is somehow turned into a wolf. Now the son of the immortal titan Prometheus, Delusion, is warned by Prometheus, his father, of the upcoming flood, this life-ending flood, and he builds a small boat to carry him and his wife, Pyra, who just happens to be a cousin of his, but that's I digress on that, who Pyra is the daughter of Prometheus's brother, Emetrius, and uh, uh, the gods, you know, they interbreed with each other. Kings did it to royalties, just how it was done. So Delusian and Pyra survive this flood in uh, a chest that was built, or a boat, for nine days. And when it lands on Mount Parnassus, they discover that they're the only people who survived this. So they go to the springs of uh, Cephisus and visit the temple of Themis to ask for help in repairing or repopulating the human race. So Themis tells them that they are to, quote, leave the temple with veiled heads and loosened clothes 
and throw behind you the bones of your great mother. So this is like a riddle. So Delusian and Pyra, first of all, they're confused. They have no idea what in the hell is being told to them. But eventually they come to realize that the great mother that is referred to is actually Mother Earth, and the bones are stones. So they did like they were supposed to do, and they tossed stones behind them. And when they land, the stones soften, and they turn into human bodies. Humans that no longer have a relationship to the gods. And the other animals are spontaneously just created from the earth. And eventually, Delucian and Pyra settle in Thessaly, where they produce offspring the old-fashioned way this time. And they have two sons, Helen and Amphictacon. And Helen and uh, he sired Aeolus, who was the founder of the Aeolians, Doris, the founder of the Dorians, and uh, Zeuthus uh, sired Archias, who was founder of the Archians, and Ion, who's founder of the Ionians. So, as you can see, their offspring created uh, great societies here on Earth, according to that version of the Deluge Tales. So that about does it for part one in Tales of great, the Great Deluge. So what are we going to talk about in part two? Well, there are other cataclysm myths that we're going to talk about. So... Let's, look at, let's take a look at this here. Bordered on the north by the Black Sea and on the south by the Taurus Mountains lies Cappadocia in central Turkey. Here, the wind and the water have just sculpted all kinds of strange shapes out of this soft volcanic rock that exists in the region. It was in this landscape that in 1963, what started out as a simple home renovation in the town of Derinkuyu, this led to an extraordinary discovery. The homeowner found a vast underground city that was thousands of years old and more than 280 feet deep below his home just because of a simple home renovation. I mean, you hear stories and read stories all the time on the Internet about, uh, you know, so-and-so, you know, looked behind the medicine cabinet and found a secret room, or so-and-so was doing a home remodel and found a whole entire secret room up in the attic. I read one of these stories just tonight, as a matter of fact. A guy found a secret room in his attic that had electricity and a floor and all that sorts of stuff, but was just walled up. So, you know, you can believe it or not. I don't know. But this is an actual, like, this is the ultimate I found a secret room during my home renovation story. This is not just a secret room. This is like a whole complex here. Experts now believe that there's an estimated 20,000 men, women, and children who once lived in this structure, and it extends 13 stories underground. And within its dark hallways, there's evidence of things like religious centers, storerooms, wine presses, and even stables for livestock. This 
entire structure contains 15,000 air shafts that bring air all the way down even to the deepest levels of the structure. But just who built this massive underground city and what kind of mysterious force drove the people to live underground? Well, according to mainstream archaeologists, Derinkuyu was most likely intended to serve as a temporary shelter from invasion, and it was probably built somewhere around 800 B.C. But what I want to know is, could this underground city be even older? Now, if you've watched ancient astronauts, they've talked about Derinkuyu many times, and these ancient astronaut theorists believe that it is, in fact, older than 800 B.C., perhaps by many thousands of years. The Cappadocia region was part of the Zoroastrian Empire. Just got to slow down. Now, the Zoroastrian Empire was a ruling force that recognized Zoroastrianism as its official religion. Go, go figure, right? So, Zoroastrianism is an ancient faith based on a, the opposing forces of good and evil, and it's widely believed to have influenced both Hinduism and Judeo-Christianity. So it was developed sometime before the 6th century B.C., and its chief god is the curator, Ahura Mazda. The key to successful Valentine's Day gift-giving is to show your Valentine that you truly get them. You need something personal, as personal as their favorite cocktail which is why the Bartesian cocktail maker is the perfect Valentine's Day gift. The Bartesian is a sleek countertop device that makes over 50 bar quality cocktails at the touch of a button, including your Valentine's favorites. If they love margaritas, Bartesian can make over 10 kinds. If they like whiskey, they can choose an old fashioned one night and a sidecar the next. Plus your Valentine can choose their desired strength from mocktail to strong. And not only does it make your Valentine's favorite cocktails, but it makes yours too. Skip the overpriced dinners and impersonal gifts. Instead, treat your Valentine and yourself to a present you'll both enjoy long past February 14th. Bartesian, order yours today and receive free shipping. Visit bartesian.com slash cocktail to shop now. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com slash cocktail. Moms, we all wish there were two more of us just to get through the day. Preparing lunches, snacks, dinners. We've all got a lot on our plates. That's where Fresh from Florida comes in. They have hundreds of recipes that make mealtime quick, easy, and healthy. And shopping for locally grown produce is a snap. Just look for the Fresh from Florida logo. When it's almost dinner time and you have to be three places at once, go to the one place that counts. Freshfromflorida.com. There's sunshine in every bite. And in the second chapter of the Zoroastrian sacred text, the Venadad, Ahura Mazda saves humans from a worldwide environmental disaster, pretty much like the story of Noah in the Hebrew Testament. Now, according to the sacred text, Ahura Mazda instructs the great prophet Yima to build a kind of underground refuge, very similar to Derinkuyu, and Yima built a multi-level underground city to protect a select group of people and animals, not from a flood, but from a global ice age. The Venedad calls this the evil winter, and according to many mainstream climatologists, 
the last ice age peaked around 18,000 years ago and ended around 10,000 BC. So is it possible that Derinkuyu was built as a refuge from this global winter, this great ice age? It's possible. Could the sky god Ahura Mazda have been an advanced being from another world? Maybe. And if he was, did he provide the technology needed for his followers to build this complex labyrinth as protection from environmental disaster? Well, if you want to believe the ancient astronaut theory, it is possible. So beyond shared stories of cataclysm, cultures all across the globe have paintings, murals, and sculptures that seem to depict something like space travel or air travel long before any kind of technology like that existed. From India to Peru, really in every great culture, there are carvings of scenes that seem to depict a person on a flying craft or stories of a great flying platform of some sort or huge flying birds that are somehow ridden upon and they sound more like vehicles than they do animals from just based upon the description of the sound. There's a mural in a church in Kosovo that shows something like a, a satellite or, or a spacecraft, and they look like, uh, you remember the uh, Sputnik, the first, one of the, the first Russian satellite? It looks like the Sputnik satellite. And there's a painting in the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence, Italy, which shows the Virgin Mary with this weird object hovering over her shoulder, and it looks very much like a flying saucer. There's a fresco in uh, Montesino, Italy, called The Glorification of the Eucharist that shows a stylized image of the earth with two rods or staffs coming out of it. And it looks so much like an early satellite that you, you really would think that it had been painted in the current era and that whoever the artist was had been inspired by seeing some kind of spacecraft. In Cambridge, England, there's a painting of the baptism of Christ that depicts something saucer-like in the sky with beams coming out of it, like, I don't know, blessing the occasion or something. And in the background of a 17th century fresco, The Crucifixion, there's strange unidentified objects that are flying up in the air in this fresco. And if you look real closely at them, kind of looks like UFOs or UFOs. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm going to grab a quick drink of my apple juice. Oh, I love juice. Okay, where was I? Oh, yeah. In the Vedas from India, their description of flying vehicles called Vimanas, they apparently can fly anywhere. There's no obvious means of propulsion, so they can just simply dart about at will. They have uh, armaments, something like missiles, and if enemies approach, they can be vaporized. It's very high-tech sounding stuff, and this is from over 4,000 years ago. And there's one story where Lord Krishna is piloting one of these Vimanas, and there's an enemy who manages to make his own Vimana invisible. So Lord Krishna is pretty smart, and he's pretty quick on the draw, 
And he's able to, even though he can't see it, he's able to follow the sound of that Vimana. And he fires off a missile and destroys it. So the technology of these Vimanas are fascinating, and it sounds very much like UFOs or space vehicles that's flying in our atmosphere. Now, it's very clear in the description that the vehicle is being piloted by somebody somehow. It's sometimes described as looking like a great shining cloud, and when it departs, it departs in a great whirlwind. And now the use of the word whirlwind is interesting here because there are other stories that have people going to heaven or coming back from heaven in a great whirlwind. So I think we need to give the ancients some credit here. They're, they're intelligent, deeply profound people. Now you're saying, what does this have to do with other cataclysms? You started out by talking about building a city underground to survive the Ice Age, and now you're talking about Vimanas blowing each other up. Well, these Vimanas, not only could they fire missiles, but quite possibly they could fire nuclear weapons too, and did so on at least one, maybe two occasions. Excuse me, I had, to, had a little cough there, had to mute the mic. And they, there were, there are recorded incidents where whole groups of people were wiped out because of these Vimana wars. Virtually all of the sacred traditions include interactions between divinities and humans. We have Zeus and the other gods of the Pantheon coming down off Mount Olympus to guide us, or most oftentimes, as the case, cause trouble, or just simply indulge themselves. We have an angel appearing to the Virgin Mary to tell her that she conceive this new leader, which turned out to be the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know, getting back to the gods coming down from Mount Olympus, It seems like most of the time they came down to stir the pot to cause some sort of trouble or to, to like, have sex with us humans. I guess it wasn't enough for them to have sex with, you know, within their ranks because there was, there was only a handful of them, right? So I guess you get tired of, if you're a god and you live forever, I guess you get tired of, having sex with the same people over and over again for eternity. So when you make mankind, you're like, whoa, I did a good job. Let me go down there and tap that ass. Yeah, I mean, Zeus did it. You know, so you got Hercules. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I guess if I were an immortal god and had created uh, a whole race of human beings and I liked what I saw, why not go down there and tap that ass, right? I don't know. I just, I, would, I just thought about that. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so these visitations, they take, by the gods, they take several forms. Sometimes a person appears, and it's usually in human form, 
And because it'd be, you know, it'd be too disorienting or maybe scary for the actual, for them to appear in, you know, actual, their actual form. Maybe freak us out a little bit. So this entity, this deity appears as a person and gives some kind of guidance or message to us humans. Appearances by angels in Western mythology go back to around the 7th century B.C., which is a ways back. Now, Hindu philosophy also describe angel-like beings. The devas are creatures that can't be seen, but they have great powers. Like angels, they can fly through the sky, and like angels, they have a different class classification system. Some of them even interact with us humans. However, the devas are not immortal. They, they do have very long lives, but they don't live for eternity. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're not omniscient. They, they know a lot of things, but they don't know everything. They aren't the creators of the world. They're divine, but they're more like, I don't know, local gods, for the lack of a better term. In fact, when they take physical form, they're very much like humans, a little bit larger than us, but more like us than not. And they are intermediaries. That's their importance here. An angel is also an intermediary, and the word angel means messenger. Now, in the Quran, there's a fascinating category of creatures known as the jinn, and the English word is genie, and it's actually derived from the Arabic word jinn. The jinn are ancient. They were here way before we were. They have free will, unlike the angels who must do good or must do as God commands. They're capable of being either good or evil. They have this free will, and they live in a kind of parallel dimension all of their own, but they can interact with us. And they're powerful entities that you want to have on your side. They can do powerful and metaphysical things. But on the flip side of the coin, they can also do dark things. Shidans, the dark element within the gen world, are dedicated to purely evil or troublemaking. And many of the stories about the jinn focus on a mortal striking a deal with or trying to trick a jinn, which results in serious consequences. So <clears throat> we have these, all of these stories about cataclysms from different cultures and all these stories about angel-like beings from different cultures, and they all do the same thing. They all say basically the same thing. The divine beings, these angels, for lack of a better term, they're here to either guide us or cause controversy. The cataclysms that's going to destroy mankind, it's either a great flood, which is most of the cases, or some other type of global cataclysm, yet the gods or the biblical God, the one God, takes pity on a certain human and his clan or his family and instructs them how to survive. Here's what you need to do. You need to build this ship, build this city, build this chest, 
go here, do that, gather this. They're all the same. doesn't matter what religion you look at. They all have tales of some sort of great cataclysm, most oftentimes a flood, that destroys civilization as it was known at that time. Yet somehow, miraculously, there's one small set of humans that survive to repopulate the earth. The earth is evil. What's happening is bad. The great flood or what other cataclysm comes through and cleanses the earth. But prior to that, you have a seed of life that is planted in a vessel that survives the flood or cataclysm. And after this is over with, the seed of life is taken out of the vessel and planted into the new soil that's left by the cleansing waters or the cleansing cataclysm. And then new life springs eternal, which leads us all the way up to where we are today. You have that same theme in every religion in the world. And what I've touched on is just a, the, the tip of the iceberg as far as all that goes. So in conclusion here, great turning points in world history have been associated with visitations by supernatural beings. They're either going to help a leader, a priest, or a hero make some kind of key decision or help him out or help her out at a key moment. They might even give these leaders extra powers so they can accomplish some extraordinary things. For example, the Islamic prophet Muhammad was a man of modest means who lived in Mecca and would take a period of time every year to go to a cave in the mountains and pray and reflect. And during one of these retreats, the angel Gabriel came to him and told him, that his people must look at their gods differently. Gabriel said that Muhammad's people had too many icons and divinities, but that they were basically, they were all nonsense. And the people needed to worship the one God and devote themselves totally to Allah. And the Quran, this extensive book, with all its religious insights, was dictated from the angel to Muhammad, who is credited with authoring the Koran. <clears throat> the emperor, Constantine, also had a profound encounter with an otherworldly vision. He saw a flaming cross in the sky, and he took it as a sign of support from God for his upcoming battle that he was about to be in. The key to successful Valentine's Day gift giving is to show your Valentine that you truly get them. You need something personal, as personal as their favorite cocktail, which is why the Bartesian cocktail maker is the perfect Valentine's Day gift. The Bartesian is a sleek countertop device that makes over 50 bar quality cocktails at the touch of a button, including your Valentine's favorites. If they love margaritas, Bartesian can make over 10 kinds. If they like whiskey, they can choose an old fashioned one night and a sidecar the next. Plus, your Valentine can choose their desired strength, from mocktail to strong. And not only does it make your Valentine's favorite cocktails, but it makes yours too. Skip the overpriced dinners and impersonal gifts. 
Instead, treat your Valentine and yourself to a present you'll both enjoy long past February 14th. Bartesian. Order yours today and receive free shipping. Visit bartesian.com slash cocktail to shop now. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash cocktail. Do you have trouble remembering that one thing you went to the grocery store to buy? Here's a tip. Forget about it. Just pick up fresh Florida strawberries. They're delicious, in-season, and available now. Here's another tip. Go to FreshFromFlorida.com and use local Florida strawberries for wonderful recipes like strawberry arugula salad or strawberry fritters. And while you're there, join the Fresh From Florida Club for free perks. Fresh From Florida. There's sunshine in every bite. And he said that if I am successful in this battle, I will make Christianity the religion. He was not for this to start off with. But when he saw this flaming cross in the sky, he said, this has to be support from God, and if, I, and if God is with me, he will help me win this battle, and if that happens, I will make the official religion Christianity. And he was indeed successful in his battle. And he also decided to end religious intolerance in the entirety of the Roman Empire based on this vision that he had. René Descartes developed the scientific method, which is the foundation for the scientific worldview, the entirety of contemporary civilizations built on it. So who knows what we would have achieved or what we wouldn't have achieved, I guess, over the past 300 years if we didn't have this system. And what is the source of this scientific method, his inspiration? Well, Descartes said it was a gift from God delivered in a series of dreams. These stories and continue to this very day only in different forms. The divine being becomes an extraterrestrial, or somebody from another dimension. The details vary, but the structure remains the same. We long as humans for connection with something beyond what we know. These alien visitors about whom we speculate personify that which is larger than us, that which is beyond our understanding. It's something we dread or something we hope will have potentialities that we do not yet understand. Whatever it is and whatever it means, it's something profound from a world we can't immediately see, a world more significant, a world of greater and more intense meaning. Just like our ancestors in all of these tales of the great cataclysm, insert your cataclysm here, right? They all had exactly This, something divine came to them and said, there will be a cataclysm. You need to prepare. In ancient times, it was always considered to be something religious. It was, excuse me, it was God. It was an angel. It was a divine messenger of some sort. For Noah and the biblical deluge, it was, it was God who told him. 
in the Sumerian tale, Utnapishtim was told by the creator god, Enki. So you have all of these stories of a great cataclysm that is going to destroy mankind as a whole, as they knew it then. And as I said a couple of times before, a divine entity chooses a small portion of the human race to survive. And the reason that this cataclysm is coming about is because humans are corrupt and immoral and they no longer represent what the gods think they should represent, except for one, a handful of people who are chosen to survive. And they are told the cataclysm is coming. You need to build a container for the seed of life and get into this container. Here's how you build it. Here's what you put into it. The cataclysm happens. The seed of life is carried in the vessel. The cleansing waters recede after it's done its job. And the seed of life is taken out of the vessel and planted into the clean and fertile soil for everything to start anew. And the gods are happy with us once again. Well, look at what we're doing to ourselves today. If the gods weren't happy with us back then, they're damn sure not happy with us now. So why don't they just flood our asses out? Well, instead, it looks like they sent a disease. <laughs> it's a plague down upon us now <clears throat> in the form of COVID-19. But I digress. So that is it for episode two, season 16 of Parareality. Man, kind of got off on a little tangent there, didn't I? <laughs> well, that about does it for tonight. Thanks for listening. But before I close it out, here's one more thing. Do you like being scared? Does the feeling of your throat tightening fear leaving you unable to scream exciting? If the answer to these questions is yes, then you should listen to Scared to Death. Stories of suspense, science fiction, and horror. Scared to Death airs the third Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Tune in for the fright of your life. things are going in the world? Have you always wanted to save whatever was on your mind without having to listen to someone bitch about it or suffer any repercussions? Well, me too. That's why I created the Set It Off podcast. I'm sick and tired of the stupidity that's going on around here, and I'm going to let everybody know how I feel about it. So hop on board this train and fasten your seatbelt because I'm about to set it off. Set It Off can be heard on your favorite podcast station. New episodes drop on the fourth Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. You never know 
what I'm going to say next. I certainly hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality. If you want to leave a comment about it or anything else about the podcast, let me know. Here's how you can get in touch with me because there are several different ways you can do it, and here they are. First of all, the best, quickest, and easiest way is to email me. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can find me on my social media accounts. First of all, I do have an official Facebook page for the podcast. You can find it at facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. That's facebook.com sandman.parareality. You can post a message on my wall there or slide into my DMs on Facebook. <clears throat> or if you have Twitter or Instagram, you can follow me on both of those. My username, both Twitter and Instagram, same thing, Para Real Radio, all one word, Para Real Radio on both Twitter and Instagram. You can post, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus, <clears throat> you can post something on uh, my Twitter or, once again, slide into my DMs there on Twitter and Instagram. Now, I want to take a second, and somebody out there, uh, sent me a message request on Twitter the other day, and I it was one of those things to where you know uh, anybody can can uh, message me on Twitter, but if if I don't follow you or you don't follow me, and you send me a message, it's one of those things to where it, it pops up. It says, "Okay, you have a request. Do you want to accept this request or not?" And I was reading this, and I was about to uh, accept this request, and somebody said something to me, and I hit the button and closed my Twitter down by accident. So I, I, when I logged back into it, I, I, I didn't, like, log out of Twitter, but it, it closed the app. So when I uh, brought the app back up, the message request had disappeared. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So if you're listening to this podcast and you sent me a message request on Twitter, and I did not respond to that, that is why I apologize. And if you would send me another message request, I will be more than happy to accept it this time. So Para Real Radio on both Instagram and Twitter, you can always slide into my DMs there. And you can also call the podcast here on the studio line in the secret bunker. It's 615-692-1170. That number to call again is area code 615, then dial 692-1170. You can leave me a message on the studio line, but I want you to remember this, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. If you do decide to leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play that comment back on the podcast. So, if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Now, I do not play, like, contact information. I try not to reveal last names and whatever just to keep your privacy. So if you want to leave your contact on the message, that's fine. You can leave me a telephone number, email address, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I will not play that back on the air. I will not play your entire name. If you leave me your first and last name, you say, hey, this is John Smith, I will not play the Smith part back. I will play the, hey, this is John. So I will edit the message Uh, and any personal contact information that you leave, I will not, I give you my word, post that back for everybody in the whole entire world to 
to hear. I will keep your anonymity as best as I can. Now, I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast, so if you've got a story that you'd like to get on the show, call up the voicemail, 615-692-1170. Tell it to me. There's a, a three-minute time limit, so if you run out of time, call back and pick up where you left off. Or email the show. Tell it to me. I'm always, I, I love, love, love to interview common, ordinary, everyday people just like you and me who aren't trying to sell a book or a DVD or go to my website or buy this or buy that. I, I just love to interview normal, everyday people who've had some sort of unusual experience and they want to talk about it or they want to tell people about it. If that is you, feel free to get in touch with me and I'll get you on the show. Also, don't forget to visit the show website, parareality.com. Man, that's a place where you can keep up on the latest paranormal news from all around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to paranormal news, and the content is updated pretty much on a daily basis. You can also shop in the Parareality store, watch some of uh, the terrible videos that I have made for the podcast. Uh, over the years, I've even had a, a very short-lived web TV show that sucked horrible balls. Uh, I, I, I put that up there. I think I only did six episodes or so. Uh, I, I put that up there just, just for your entertainment. Please feel free to make fun of it. I know that it's horrible. Uh, I just, you know, just for your entertainment. Um, you can also, while you're at parareality.com, you can also be sure to please visit the podcast archives. I got a ton of audio on the website from the various incarnations of parareality throughout the years, along with uh, uh, other podcasts that I do, Set It Off and Scared to Death. You can find all of that content for free on the archive section of the website. That's parareality.com. Make sure you check it out. Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. Just search for Parareality. And if you've got a smart speaker, you can listen there too. If you've got any podcast skills activated on your smart device, just say, hey, play the Parareality podcast. Now, I've also got a YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there too. I upload all the audio to YouTube because i got a lot of people that listen on YouTube. And it's also full of some great videos like UFO and paranormal documentaries. Um, it's got those terrible videos that I did on my short-lived web show. It's got a whole bunch of things up there. So, so to find the channel, all you got to do is go to youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. And that's the number one. No spaces or underscores, all one word. That's youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. One. So those are all my social medias, all the ways you can get in touch with me here on Parareality. Remember, the best way is to email me, sandman at parareality.com. You can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Slide into my DMs on Twitter and Instagram, my username on both of those accounts, at Radio. You can visit the website, parareality.com, or find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash user slash parareality1. So that's it. That's all the ways you can find me. Everybody, thank you for listening tonight. 
The next episode of Parareality is going to air on February the 4th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope this podcast opened your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, a great weekend, and I'll see you again on Friday, February the 4th. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. Hosting a watch party for the big game can be a blast. But between all the shopping, serving, and cleanup, you need your A-game to get everything done and still enjoy it. Introducing the Bartesian, the sleek countertop device that freshly mixes cocktails at the touch of a button. Think of it as your all-around MVP that can QB the bar and make every cocktail a winner. With Bartesian, there's no stocking the bar ahead of time or missing a big play to mix drinks. And with over 50 different cocktails to choose from, all made with real juices, extracts, and bitters, your guests get their favorite cocktail at their preferred strength. Regardless of who wins, you'll still have the Bartesian on your home roster, making you the biggest winner of all. Bartesian. Order yours today and receive free shipping. Visit bartesian.com slash cocktail to shop now. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash cocktail.